Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome back to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. I wanted to take a look at the business of baseball with someone I've admired for a while from Fox Sports and also a colleague of mine now at The Athletic. He writing baseball, me writing football, the business of football. Welcome to the podcast to Ken Rosenthal, a longtime friend and colleague and someone I've admired. Welcome, Ken. Andrew, thank you and right back at you. Admired yeah. you as well. Appreciate that. And... Listen, I talk a lot of the business of football a lot, and it always seems to be like, yeah, they don't get guaranteed contracts. There's always issues, the teams imposing their will. And everyone says, well, why can't they be more like baseball? The players got it (laughs) easy in baseball. And uh, for the first time, it seems like baseball players, at least in this free agent market, are struggling. What's going on? Before we get to sort of you, Darvish, whether he's opened up the floodgates or not, We've had free agency for two months. What's going on? A lot of things. And there are a lot of factors that contributed to the delays in this market, the nature of this market. And let's start with the timetable first. Yeah. Shohei Otani availability, that distracted teams for a bit. Giancarlo Stanton's availability and trade attracted uh, distracted teams for a bit, but only certain teams. And then... We got into the offseason, and people started wondering, okay, this is taking long enough. What the heck is going on? I would start with the fact that this market, this group of free agents, is not as talented as some others, and certainly not as talented as next year's will be. Right. Also, the new CBA, with the luxury tax thresholds that were not much higher than the previous CBAs, they've effectively served as a cap of sorts. And we've seen two big spending teams, the Yankees and Dodgers, really try to get under that threshold, that cap, so to speak, and that's taken them largely out of the free spending equation. The Tigers are a team that was once a spender. They're not spending at all now. They're rebuilding. That leads to another factor. There are a number of rebuilding teams, teams that are not participating in the market. And then you have a situation where, All general managers now, I shouldn't say all, but many general managers now, if not most, think alike. Mm. They value players the same way. They look at players the same way. And it basically creates a paralysis by analysis, and that has also stalled the market. So the one thing I'm leaving out is the possibility of collusion. Right. This sport has a history of collusion. The owners have a history of collusion. It's happened more than once. Could the union prove that collusion has taken place in this market? I don't know. Have I heard rumblings that they might try? Absolutely, I've heard rumblings that they might try. And we'll just see how it goes. A few things to unpack here. This CBA you speak of, I believe it was November 2016, so we're about 14 months in. It went smoothly. I'm used to covering these CBAs that result in lockouts and decertification and all this stuff. This one, from my vantage point, and maybe you know differently, went smoothly. I guess that that begs the question, could Tony Clark and the union have anticipated this, the way things have gone? Could they have figured out, wait a minute, this CBA, where players have typically had some leverage, going back to Marvin Miller, did something change? What's different now than prior to the CBA and, and with this CBA? 
in my view, they should have anticipated some of the things that have transpired as a partial byproduct of the CDA. In fact, the night this was announced and the details started to come out, right. I had agents of players calling me and texting me and saying this is a disaster for the players. The focus was not necessarily on financial issues, as it always has been in the past. It was partly about lifestyle issues. It was partly about addressing the qualifying offer and the compensation for players who reject those offers as free agents and making sure that the qualifying offer was not as onerous on players in free agency. That was good. They accomplished that. Unfortunately, it affects only a relatively small number of players. So, in my view, what always drove the union and what made the union great was the ability to focus on the financials, make sure they were protecting the players and enhancing the players' position in every way possible. And that strategy was not necessarily taken here. The other thing is that while Tony Clark is a very smart guy and a very good guy, he's not an attorney. Right. He's a former player. The union previously was run by attorneys and sharp attorneys. So I don't know how much that contributed. I don't know that it helped. And it certainly seems that in this CBA, the owners came away with certain edges that they didn't necessarily have before. You mentioned luxury tax being not too distant from the previous CBA and operating like a salary cap. It's interesting you say that because, of course, it's the only major league without a cap. But one thing the cap does, from my experience, it has a, not only a ceiling but a floor. And it allows lower spending teams, in football case, pick a name, like Cincinnati or Pittsburgh, to spend to a floor they were not comfortable without a cap. And it seems to me this is a real problem for baseball. Maybe it's always been there, where there's no regulating factor for the low-spending teams. Forget the Yankees and Dodgers and, and Detroit. So that there's nothing to address that, is there? No. Yeah. And I remember asking the late Michael Weiner right. about it. He was the previous head of the union. And I said to him, you guys talk about the teams not spending their revenue-sharing money. Well, why don't you put in a device, a salary floor, payroll floor, to ensure that they spend it? And his position was, and this has always been the position of the union, we encourage a free marketplace up and down. Hmm. We don't want a floor because a floor will enable the owners to request a cap. We just want people to go up and down at will, understanding that it's cyclical. It is cyclical. And there are always some teams that are in various phases of rebuilding. That's fine and acceptable. But what has happened here is that because of the success of the Cubs and the Astros in taking it to the bottom, the other clubs, some other clubs, have engaged in what the union head Tony Clark has called a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. More money for draft picks, better position for draft picks, same internationally. So I actually wrote a column today suggesting that they change the draft around a little bit to allow for this. And it wouldn't be an economic sacrifice by the owners if they simply restructured the draft in some lottery form or do some other things to penalize losing and incentivize winning. Right Now, do I expect they're going to reopen the CBA for this? No. <laughs> but it would be one way short of a salary floor to maybe discourage what is this tasteful look. It doesn't look good when you have a general manager, Jerry DePoto of the Mariners, saying, 
hey, uh, it seems like there's as many teams going for the number one pick as there are for the World Series. Huh. A healthy thing for the sport. Doesn't look good. And, and like you said, I'm a lawyer. You need a lot of proof to get to the standard of collusion. But there's somewhere in there, as you know, that's maybe it's not technically legally collusion. But like you said, it just doesn't look good. And, you know, here we are almost 10 minutes into talking. We haven't mentioned the, the two na- the two words comprising the name of the hour, Scott Boris. And, yeah. and oh, you, I forgot about him. <laughs> Scott Boris. He's got his own plan, right? And he's been railing about it, as you've talked about, you've written about. But he would have something you kind of like you just mentioned, kind of an incentivized uh, more money to spend if you win. Now, like you said, whether that actually has a chance, who knows. But talk about his plan. And then you've talked about another plan by J.J. Cooper, the editor of Baseball America, talks about a tank tax. Right. And... Again, these are just ideas. Yeah. And I know that all these kinds of ideas have to be vetted and they have to be sure. really examined for unintended consequences. And I also know that, as an agent told me after this came out last night, uh, Ken, they're not reopening the agreement to benefit the players. <laughs> right. Okay, I get it. But <laughs> when you have ownership representatives and general managers questioning what's going on as well, it is in the best interest of the sport, in my opinion, to at least give this a greater look. Now, getting back to Boris, I failed to mention him in my list of reasons why this offseason has progressed the way it has. He certainly is a factor. Yeah. As we sit here today, he has 15 free agents. 15 free agents still with spring training camps opening, including Eric Hosmer, J.D. Martinez, Greg Holland, Jake Garrietta, some of the most coveted players in this market anyway. Jason so, Worth, right? Jason Worth's another one, Carlos yeah. Gonzalez, Carlos Gomez, Oliver Perez. I can go right down the line. Right. Tony Watson, a pretty valuable left-handed reliever. So his strategy has always been wait for my deal. And it could be that this is the year where that strategy does not work for him, or at least does not work for him with certain players. It also could be that he just thinks that the money is there and it's going to come. He's indicated that to a number of us. Guys, they've got it. I'm going to get it. <laughs> We'll see. It's fascinating to watch from the outside. I don't know how fascinating it is for fans who generally despise Boris, but he is working on behalf of his clients. He has a little bit of a different strategy, no question about it, but that is his job. You know, it's interesting because I bring up agents, and you and I talked last week when Brody Van Wagenen of CAA Baseball put the tweet out suggesting there could be a work action, uh, with this spring training coming up and ironically the answer came from the union that no that's not going to yeah. happen what's it i've seen this forever in the business of sports ken where agents and the union theoretically on the same page i mean theoretically yeah. representing the same side but at odds you're obviously seeing that and the way brody was clapped back uh by tony clark just showed it again it did, and I was grateful for your help that night because often these things venture into areas where I do not have expertise. Yeah, no problem. And you do. So you're right. There is some discontent among the agents about the way things have gone. And while they have in some ways different interests than the heads of the union in the past under Wiener, under Fear and Harsa, 
And before that, though I wasn't covering sports then under Marvin Miller, it seemed like there was much more unity between the union and the agents. They were kind of working in concert, and the agents had implicit trust in the union leadership. They knew those were the smart guys, the best guys available. That trust has eroded for a variety of reasons, as we've seen, and it's not healthy. And it was odd last week to see the first shot fired by an agent and not Tony Clark. Tony Clark eventually fired his shot. But it was a little bit of a different approach. And it was interesting, too. Brody Van Wagenen, who works for CAA, prominent guy, is not someone who talks in the media very often. I don't know that I've ever quoted him. So to see him come out with a statement as incendiary as that one was, was quite different, quite surprising. Yeah, I guess the the question, before I get to Darvish and what happens next, the question I have is, you talked about the Yankees and Dodgers pulling back. And again, not collusion, but is this, I mean, is this the way all of baseball is going? They just, they just don't want to spend like they used to. They don't see the advantages. They don't see yeah. spending correlation to winning. Is that where we're going? Well, there are a couple of things that work there. Definitely players in the 30s getting long-term deals is something that the sport is trending away from. Now, Darvish, obviously, is an exception. We'll get to that. But teams have seen over the years that those deals on the backside rarely work out. Now, we're also seeing a situation where teams are saying, wait a second, next year's class is better. I want to put myself in the best possible financial Mm -hmm. position to take advantage of that class. We're talking about Bryce Harper, Manny Machado potentially Clayton Kershaw, a number of top relievers. It's one star after another. Josh Donaldson is also in that class. So that could be part of it, too. I do expect, and there are people both in management and on the union side who believe that this is kind of a blip, that spending will return to a more expected level next year and beyond. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure the middle class and lower class of free agents is going to be compensated the way they were in the past. But there are factors here going against spending trends that have taken place in the past. All the numbers, all the analytics suggest not to trust players in their 30s long term. At the same time, Andrew, when you look at this, revenues are $10 billion. Yeah. This industry. Each team is getting at least $50 million in a one time payment this June or July or whatever because of the sale of BAMTEC to Disney. Hmm. There's plenty of money. And I know when fans hear about these kinds of things, they always think the players make too much money, they're greedy, etc. That's what they can relate to. I played this game as a kid, why should he make that much money for doing that? Well, guess what? The owners make money too. (laughs) They make a lot of money. And if it's not going one place, it's going the other. And the question is, is the percentage the players are getting now in line with what it's been in the past? Baseball says yes, others indicate no. You think the Darvish signing, which you broke uh, this weekend, I believe, $126 million over, was it five or six years? Six, yes. Six. Does that, and I, I suppose you can get up to 150 with performance. Does, first of all, you, you sh- I guess it's hard to be shocked by it since it happened so late, but 
What's your opinion of the deal? And do you think it's going to open up the floodgates? Maybe not floodgates, but open up a, a little bit of a faucet somewhere in all of this. Well, it should open up the starting pitching market to some degree. Yeah. And certainly teams like the Twins and the Brewers who have been looking for starting pitching now will have to go to alternatives. Alex Cobb is one, Lance Lynn, and there are a bunch of other starters below them. Jake Arrieta, of course, remains available. I would think that particular subset of free agents, it's going to start to move, albeit slowly. Mm-hmm. So then you ask the question, and it's a fair question, of course, what do I think of this deal? I don't love fixed-year deals for players in their 30s either, especially pitchers. Yeah. Darvish is a guy who's had Tommy John. He is someone who doesn't pitch 200 innings a season. He's only done that once. But he's someone with incredible amount of talent. His stuff is extremely good. Mm-hmm. And basically, teams view him, analytically based teams in particular, as a guy that has such weapons, they can alter the mix, do some things with him to make him even better. And that started to happen, actually, with the Dodgers last year. So I can see the Cubs' attraction. They have reasons for doing what they did. They don't have a good history recently of developing starting pitching. They've had to go outside and certainly give them stability and is an extremely talented guy going forward. I just don't know if six years is going to be a good thing. It may not matter to them. Maybe they just want the first two or three years to be good, and that would be enough. But these things are always risky. That's the best way I can put it. They're always a risk, and at some point, if you're a team in contention, you have to take risks. So from that perspective, I certainly understand it. It's just that if you're betting on this to work out, would it work out for all six years? Eh, probably not. Brings up two follow-ups to that. One, does that mean the end of Arietta with the Cubs? And two, yeah. does the length of the deal, is that really, you think, what's going on with these lack of signings, more so than teams not wanting to sign players? So maybe they do want players, but they don't want to give, you pick a number, four, five, six years. So it becomes more of that an issue than sort of average per year getting a deal done. Well, first of all, that does end the Arietta era in Chicago with right. the Cubs. Now, as for the rest of that, it's really interesting. And Jeff Passon of Yahoo was the first to bring this up kind of in print, but it's been talked about by executives for a while. The entire pay structure in this sport needs to change. Mm-hmm. It's obsolete. It doesn't work. Teams are valuing players in their 20s at a higher level than players in their 30s. That's when they get in their view, the best performance. And the numbers generally bear this out. So if that's the case, then why are sport? Why is the sport in a position where you're waiting six years for a guy to become a free agent then paying for his declining years? doesn't seem to make much sense. Right. Now, if you had enough creative people in 2021 when the CBA expires, perhaps they can come up with a new system that would kind of flip the script a little bit. I'm not confident baseball is going to do that. I'm not confident the union is going to do it. But at this point, given the way it's going, some really smart people should get together and look at the best way to do this. Because this plan, it's not working for the players, and really it's not working for the owners either. The Cubs ideally don't want to pay Darvish that kind of money. What they want to do is pay Chris Bryant a billion dollars for the next six or seven years when he's still in his prime, and then figure out the pitching 
in some other fashion. That's not the way the sport works. Yeah. The thing is, so I mean, in football, without future guarantees, the teams years are irrelevant. I mean, yeah, yeah you want a five-year deal, sure. You want a ten-year deal, sure. You know, it's two years, and then we'll see what happens. But in baseball, they're real years, unless you know. Are I mean, has baseball moved to any sort of partial guarantees, more options in later parts of the deal, or is it still kind of giving out these long guarantees on these big players? There are no partial guarantees, hmm. except the arbitration deals for yeah. three to six players. They're not guaranteed. But when you talk about the long-term contracts, some of them do have options, and especially with the players who are younger, who sign extensions as zero- to three-year players, even three to six. Frequently, the clubs will tack on options that are below market value, and they'll get good deals on those players. But in general, it is a different model in football. The guarantees make it different. Leave you on this, Ken. There's, you know, we're in mid-February. Pitchers and catchers reporting. What is the the union camp still a thing? Free agent camp? What, what, as you said, Boris still thinks these guys are going to get paid, but we're we're on the precipice here. So, where do you think this goes? The union camp is scheduled to open tomorrow. How many guys will be there? I have no idea how it's going to work. We'll see. I don't know where this goes. And I joked in a column the other day that I would call Boris Mr. February, except time is running out in February, so I think I'll call him Mr. March. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there is a better chance of the majority of these guys going in March than April. Now, keep in mind, I'm sorry, than February. Spring training is too long. I have one free agent telling me, listen, man, give me two weeks, I'll be fine. Right. So the urgency is not quite acute just yet, but it's going to be at some point, and I'm sure some players are feeling the crunch and, and anxiety of this particular situation. It's very unusual. I don't know that it applies for a guy like Arietta, okay? Because I asked a friend of his last night. I didn't report this, but I can share it on podcast. I said, okay, how's Jake doing in these is he kind of getting anxious? Is he good? He goes, man, he's good. The difference is going to be between $100 million and $135 million. He'd be good, too. <laughs> right. So for a guy like that, okay. But for some of the guys who are on the margins, it's not as easy. And those are the guys who are struggling with this. You ever seen anything like this in your years of covering baseball? Not since the collusion era. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's collusion. I'm just saying the nature of the market and the unusual nature of it. No, I've not seen this since then. And that was, of course, a fixed market. And that was determined to be illegal. I don't know that this one will be. In fact, I would tend to doubt it. So, from the standpoint of covering the sport since 1987, no, I've never seen anything like it. And just to be clear, we've used the C word a few times here, collusion. That's never been suggested by the union here, correct? It's been whispered, and in Brody Van Lagenen's statement, he basically said something along those lines, and there have been different perspectives given. Now, keep in mind, though, that the union, every time a free agent market takes place, every year, will assess the market and look at it and determine what its feelings about the market are after it is complete. So even if there are some people in the union the union leadership who believe collusion might be taking place, 
They're not going to say it just yet because they don't have all the information. It'll be fascinating to see what happens and what, if anything, happens with this stagnant free agent market in baseball. It's amazing. Mid-February, and it's almost like it's mid-December, correct? Agreed. Agreed. Thanks for breaking it down for us, Ken. Really appreciate it. A lot of great insights here, and thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. All right, my friend. I really appreciate it. Anytime. I owe you one, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and anytime you need help, let me know. We'll do it. Thank you very much. All right, Ken. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found. Hey, it's Rob Riggle. And Sarah Tiana. And you are listening to Riggle's Picks. Yeah, and a ham horn, and uh, we have a new podcast available on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. Every Thursday, we're going to sit around and we're going to talk about the things that really excite us, like life, comedy, sports, a lot of sports. Uh, Ourselves. A lot of Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Kim Jong-un. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you join us.